Our sermon, our scripture text for our sermon this morning is Romans chapter 8, and we are coming to the end of our series. We have this week and next, unless the Lord moves me this week to add to it, it's scheduled, I've already added to it once, when we looked at John 3.16, we're scheduled this week and next to bring our series to a conclusion. Our firm foundation. What are those foundational, bedrock, core truths that my ministry and our ministry together as a church are built upon? That's what we've been looking at. And we're going to pick up once again this morning in Romans chapter 8. I'll ask you if you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to start in verse 31, and I'm going to read through to verse 37. This is God's holy word for us, his people. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is God's holy word for us, his people. You may be seated. We are professionals. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. I think that's, I think that's got it. Yep. Batteries die. The world has fallen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. In our series, we have spent a lot of time looking at a lot of doctrines, haven't we? There have been several different core doctrines we've had a chance to look at as we've walked through Romans 8, starting in verse 28, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 39. One verse we haven't really spent a lot of time on is verse 31, and that's because it's the whole section is pretty much about that one verse, unpacking that verse. Now that verse says this, look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, what does it mean that God is for us? Well, that's what we've been looking at the last several weeks. It means we are foreknown and predestined and claimed by God to belong to Him. It means we've been called and we've been justified and we've been adopted and we've been sanctified. We're continuously being sanctified. 
It means that God works all things together for your good. For your good. He's sovereign over all things. He's in charge and he's in control. And he has a good purpose and plan for you in mind in the way he runs his world. Even all the bad things in life fit into the plan. He has your good and his glory in mind. It means God is for us, means that God gives us Christ as our mediator. This was last week. He gives us the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator to accomplish and apply our eternal redemption. It means He gives us Christ to intercede for us daily. Now, in fact, right where we sit, Christ is interceding for us. He pleads our case every time we sin so that we can be forgiven. He helps us in our weaknesses. And oh, we are a weak, fragile people. And we need His strength and His help every hour. He's there to help us at God's right hand. To give us access to the throne of grace. To find the help we need. And Christ is there to secure our access to the grace of God. There is no grace There's no mercy, there's no favor, there's no blessing from God. There's nothing but wrath and condemnation from God outside of and apart from the mediator, the Lord Jesus. And that's why the Bible over and over again talks about being in Christ or going through Christ. It means going through our mediator, being in union and connection with him. God gives us Christ. He's for us. That's what it means. And if He gives us His own Son, whom He loves more than He could love an infinite number of worlds put together, there's nothing He would hold back from you. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly, Psalm 84 says. But that's what it means that God is for us, and we've been looking at all this stuff in the preceding verses. In our series so far, what does that second half mean? If God is for us, who can be against us? What does that mean? Well, this morning, that's what we're going to focus on. And we're going to look specifically at verses 35 through 37 to see this. And you guys know this. The reality is there are many things. Many things can be and indeed many things are against us us in this fallen world from something as simple as the battery dying in your headset (laughs) that could have been against us but kyle came to the rescue from something as simple as a little setback to all of the tragedy and misery that life can bring there are so many things arrayed against us We have an enemy of our soul who is against us. We have the fallenness and brokenness of life in this world. That's against us. We have all sorts of things that don't go according to our plan. That don't meet our expectations. Disappointments. Things that let us down. People that fail us or wrong us. Things that wound us. Circumstances that try us. 
pressures that might break us and stress us out. There are tons of things in this life that are against us. It's not all easygoing. Now, as we consider what Scripture teaches in this passage, specifically verses 35 to 37, I want us to focus on three things. Three things this morning about endurance. That's what our text is about, and that's what our topic is today. Endurance. Paul in this passage is calling us to a life of endurance in light of all that God has done and is doing for us. So here are the three things we're going to see. Number one, the necessity of endurance. Second, the promise of endurance. And then third, the hope. The hope of endurance. And here's what we learned this morning from God's Word. Because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, we should never give up in our struggle to endure to the end. Nothing can separate us from Him, and therefore we should never lose heart or give up in our struggle to endure to the end. Let's see what God's Word has for us today. First, the necessity of endurance. Why is enduring to the end in the Christian life, in the Christian faith, why is enduring to the end in the Christian life necessary? The Bible gives us two reasons. Here's the first. Endurance is necessary because life is hard in this fallen world. Some of you may have this idea that if God is for me, like verse 31 says, then nothing bad will happen to me. If I'm a Christian, life should be easy. I should have very few disappointments, and I will never have to suffer on my way to heaven. Now, this idea is preached from some pulpits and some television stations. But it's a lie. It's false. There is nowhere in Scripture... That says that that's true. Nowhere in Scripture does God make such a promise to you. In fact, Scripture warns you to be prepared for life to get harder when you become a Christian, when you come to Christ. Let's back up a little bit in the chapter. Look back with me at Romans 8, back to verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Listen to this, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation, it says, has been subjected to futility. That's why so many things in life seem futile. 
when we get to the point in so many different situations in life where we say, what is the point? It's just not going to work. I just quit. I give it up. Subjected to futility. It says the creation is in bondage to corruption, to decay. Things wear out. Bodies break down. Plans fall through. People fall through. The whole creation is in bondage to corruption. The corrosion of sin affects everything. It twists everything. Everything in us is twisted. Everything from us is twisted. That's why we have broken relationships and broken homes. That's why why children won't speak to some of their parents. It's why so much pain and brokenness exists in the world because sin has corrupted everything in us and everything from us. All of our societies and institutions, all of our relationships, it's all touched and twisted by sin. Paul goes on. He says, for we know in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we Christians, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan in this world. We groan. And in our passage, in verse 35, Paul gives us a few specific examples of the things that come against us. Look what he says. Verse 35, he says, Shall tribulation or distress? Tribulation. Hard trials and circumstances. Distress. It also means, the Greek word could also be translated anguish. That's an internal groaning. Persecution, that's what people do to you. Famine, hunger, going without food. Nakedness, being destitute, impoverished, being in danger, or sword, warfare. The laundry list of things that are against us. You see, this is why endurance is necessary. We still live in a fallen, broken world. We still live in a valley of the shadow of death. Christian, you will face trials and tribulations. You will face pain and suffering. You will face problems and pressures. You will face difficulties and disappointments. You will face trauma and tragedy. You will experience lack and loss, misery and malevolence, accidents and afflictions. Not all the time, but they're there. Some of you have experienced them to varying degrees. Some of you will experience them to varying degrees. We are not immune from these things just because we're Christians. And neither was Jesus. Neither was your Lord. And no servant is above his master. 
Jesus said in the Gospels, if they hated me, don't be surprised that they hate you too. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and he knows. He knows. Endurance is necessary, number one, because life is hard in this fallen world. Second reason endurance is necessary, it's because without it, we will not make it to heaven. Look back at Romans 8, 12 and 13. Look what Paul says. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We must persevere in our obedience, in our faith, in repentance, in sanctification. We must endure all the way to the end as a faithful follower and disciple of the Lord Jesus in order to reach that final salvation. The end result of our obedience. Now be very careful. That obedience does not save you. You are saved the moment you put your faith in Christ alone. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus told a parable, didn't he? About a a narrow gate. And he said, there are two gates. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. And there are many who enter through the wide gate, and there are few who go through that narrow gate. And that gate is salvation through Christ alone. And you will not be saved if you walk through the broad gate. But when you go through the narrow gate of Christ, you find salvation and rest for your souls. But too often we only preach half the passage, don't we? (laughs) We forget that there's also a broad way and a narrow way. And if we walk down the broad way, we're not heading to the same destination. The two ways don't go to the same place. The narrow way goes to the celestial city. And the broad way goes to the city of destruction. Now, imagine you are you get a call one day and the person is an attorney and he says... You had a billionaire relative that you did not know about who has died, and he's left you his fortune. Now, you're the heir in his will. It's yours. 100%, it belongs to you. But in order to get it, you have to travel to London. (laughs) Okay, it belongs to you. Going to London doesn't earn the inheritance. It's already yours. But if you don't go to London, you'll never get it. Going doesn't earn it. But if you don't go, you'll never have it. Imagine he says that you have to come down the narrow way to receive the inheritance. That's the journey we're called to make. And if you don't endure to the end on that narrow way, you'll never receive the inheritance. 
Endurance is necessary. And we must not give up before we reach the end. We must persevere. And Jesus teaches this in the Gospel of Matthew. He says in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13, Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the Lord Jesus. We must endure to the end. We must persevere. We must continue walking down that way. And if you find yourself today on the broad way, it's evidence that you've never walked through the narrow gate and that you're not now on your way to the celestial city. Check which gate you've entered. Observe which path you're walking today. Test yourself to see where you're headed. We have need of endurance. Life is hard and the way is narrow. Therefore, we must endure. We must persevere. Second point this morning the promise of endurance. <laughs> there has to, this has to be point two because if I had just left you at point one, you'd all just be in despair. There'd be no hope. (laughs) No hope whatsoever. If all I said was, you better walk down that narrow way and you better suck it up, buttercup. That's not good news. There's no gospel if that's all there is to say. Thank the Lord Jesus there's gospel that we can put underneath this call to endure. The promise of endurance. Where will you find the strength to endure, Christian? Where will you turn for answers? Where are you going to look for the resources you need to make it to the end? How do you know in 10 years' time, goodness, next year sometime, you're, just, you're not going to be like Judas and just give it up, or be like Peter and deny the Lord and be done with it? Turn back to the world. Turn your back on the Lord. How do you know? How can you do it? How can you do it? How can you make it to the end? Well, you can't do it in your own strength, and you don't have to. You don't have to. We must look to the promise of endurance. Now, some of you may think that hardship and suffering is evidence That God does not love you like you thought He did. Some think that if they're Christian, they're never going to have to go through any trials or disappointments. And that's wrong. There are others who think that trials and disappointments are evidence that, I guess God just doesn't love me like I thought He did. I thought you were for me. I thought you gave me your son. I thought all things for good. What are you doing? I've had moments like that. I had a dear friend of mine in high school in 10th grade, wrecked her car. A week later, she's gone. All things for good? Really? 
You serious, God? How does this fit into the plan? Doesn't feel like it fits. Doesn't feel like it's for good. Felt like my world was falling apart. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there now. Doesn't make sense, God. All things for good. Thought you loved me. Where are your promises? You must have turned your back on me. That's what verses like Romans 8 are written for. Chapters like this. They're written for you. They're written for us. Pain and adversity and trials in life, these tend to make us question and make us doubt. And if we're not careful, they can make us bitter. They can make us angry. They can make us resentful. They can make us ugly to other people in the way we act and speak. When we doubt the love of God, we become more unloving ourselves. That's an ugly place to be. But it's the wrong conclusion. Thank God, it's the wrong conclusion. Our trials do not mean that Christ has stopped loving us. Look at this rhetorical question in verse 35 of our passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is given after this long list of things that he, that he suggests. Do you think this will separate us? Will this separate us? Will this separate us? Verse 37, first word, no. Glorious gospel, no. These cannot and will not Separate us from the love of Christ. Verse 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through what? Through Him who loved us. Through Him who loved us. And what is that love? It's the love that went to the cross when we were the least lovely and least deserving as we could possibly be. Romans 5, 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the index by which you measure the love of God for you. How much does God love me? Look at the index. See the measurement of His love for you. Look at that cross and see the full measure. None of our suffering, Christian, none of our sufferings and none of our sinning will push Christ away from us. His love cannot be severed from us. And we cannot be severed from it. Jesus is not put off by our brokenness. He's drawn to it. His love actually intensifies. It grows stronger as our need gets deeper. And His love will care for you. 
It will nurture you. It will strengthen you. It will help you to take that next step when you feel like you can't go another inch in this Christian life, in this broken world. His love will not fail you. It will not drop you just shy of the finish line. It will take you all the way. The promise of His all-conquering, perfect, eternal, satisfying love is what keeps us going, isn't it? His love is perfect. His love is enough to sweeten every trial. His love is what keeps Him interceding for you as your mediator every hour of every day. And His love is what guarantees that God is most assuredly working all things for our ultimate good. We read it earlier, but look at it again. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Bible doesn't say that bad things are actually good things if you just look at it a different way. Doesn't say bad things don't hurt. Doesn't say bad things aren't bad. Bad things are bad. Hurtful things do hurt. It's real. The promise is God's going to take all those things and He's going to line them up in a specific order that leads you down a path that will culminate in your ultimate, highest, best good. And where is that? It's when you're with Him face to glorious face. It's not a promise about this life It's a promise about the life that is to come. When Jesus returns and raises you up out of the tomb, never to die again, immortal, sinless, whole and happy with Him. That's where your hope has to be. Not on this world. It's His love that guarantees the promise of endurance is for you. It's for you. Final point this morning. We've seen the necessity of endurance. We have the promise that Christ's love will help us to endure. And now we come to the hope. The hope of endurance. What is our faith? Our confidence? Our hope of enduring to the end based on? Look at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Christ's love is the promise of our endurance. What does that rest on? How can His love conquer and make us more than conquerors? How? 
It says we are more than conquerors. It says we shall overwhelmingly prevail. Victory is absolutely assured. How? Why? And the answer is that phrase, through Him who loved us. Through Him, through the victorious, unstoppable, all-conquering love of your Almighty Savior on the cross and in the resurrection. John chapter 16. Jesus has these words for us. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome all your enemies. He has overcome all of your evils. He has overcome all your sufferings and all of your sinning. He's overcome everything in this world that can be and is against us. That's why verse 31 is solid, rock solid. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, nobody. Reason? Jesus has overcome all our enemies in this world. He has conquered the grave. He has abolished death. He has vanquished the devil. He is at God's right hand this very hour interceding in your behalf, applying the victory of His redemption to you even now, Christian. He is proclaiming and proving His eternal love, His undying love for you even now. That's our hope. That Christ has conquered and that Christ has risen and that He is for us in power and glory. He is worthy. He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory and power. He's worthy of this. This is your hope, Christian. This is why you can endure to the end. No matter what life And no matter what the devil, and no matter what the world and your flesh throw at you, the love of Christ cannot fail you. He will not leave you disappointed in the end. Some of us are so... How do I say this? Some of us have... Secrets. Some of us, no, it's all of us. All of us have things we've said or done in our life that you wouldn't tell a soul. Because you just are convinced, if I told even my best friend what's really down there in the deepest part of me, or what's buried in the deepest, darkest part, hole back there in my past, if they really knew it and they could really see me for who I am, they would change their opinion of me. They would not think of me the same anymore. They would not love me. They would not be my friend. They would not want to hang around with me. They would not want to be associated with me. They would pull away. They would judge me and kick me out and push me away. All of us have that fear. 
Because all of us have those dark places where we have been and perhaps are right now. And we think, if you found out enough about me, you wouldn't love me. And the hope this morning of endurance is this. Jesus already knows all about those secrets. Jesus says, God is the one who is with you in secret and sees in secret. Jesus knows every dark thing about you, every twisted thing about you, everything you've ever done, thought, said, or intended. He knows it all. And He does not push you away. He says, Oh my dear, oh my dear child, my dear friend, come to me. Give it to me. I can take it. I've overcome it. I died for it. I bled for it. Give it to me. There's nothing you can do that will make Jesus stop loving you. Nothing can separate you from His love. Nothing can sever you from Him. So give it to Him. Give those things to Him. Come to Him. Lay those things down and let Him have them. Let Him forgive them. Let Him heal them. Let Him restore you. We need to endure to the end. And if we're going to do that, we can't hold back from Jesus. He's the only place we can turn for a love that will not let you down or push you away. His love is perfect and satisfying. we close with this. The fight is real. The road is hard. The way is narrow. But because nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, You must never give up enduring to the end. You do not want to be left out on the last day when Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. So hold on, Christian. Put your trust in the sweet and satisfying love of Jesus. And He will bring you home at last. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, what a infinite and eternal love that is higher and wider and deeper than we could ever imagine. It's a love we cannot find from another human being in this world. Even the best, closest friend or loved one cannot make this kind of promise that nothing, nothing, nothing can be against us because your love is Perfect. There's no such thing in this world, but with you, we have this gospel promise, a love that conquered all of the obstacles to our salvation, all of the hindrances to our endurance, a love that will pick us up when we are broken and hurting and flailing and turning our back. It's a love that will not let us go but will keep us to the end. And that's what we need. The promise that your love will keep us. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are so worthy. Your love is so good. Help us to feel that love today. Fill our hearts with a conviction of how truly 
loved we are by you, our Savior. And let that inspire our obedience. And let that move us to follow you with joy this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.